let us rethink old assumptions and open our hearts and minds to possible and possibilities. And finally, I ask the leaders of the region, political and religious, Israeli and Palestinian, Jewish and Christian and Muslim, to join us in the noble quest for lasting peace. Thank you. God bless you. God bless Israel. God bless the Palestinians. And God bless the United States. God bless the United States. Thank Donald Trump, everyone's favorite drunk uncle. <laughs> I mean, just what a incoherent rambling speech that was. I know that there's like always people joking about his mental health, but this seems worse than normal, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think the last time I heard somebody talking like that, I was like just walking around town one day and like a club had just gotten out at like some ungodly hour and someone who was like trying to chew a hole through their jaw because they were so <laughs> high on speed sounded like that. <laughs> I mean, he sounds like he's either just taken a lot of painkillers or had a stroke or God only knows. Yeah, like something is clearly, <laughs> something is, is, is not clicking. <laughs> I mean, really, it's what America wants. Just old men yelling about Israel. <laughs> <laughs> and then just, God, God, God bless the United States. God bless Israel. <laughs> folks, I'm going to bring upon the seven trumpets. I'm going to build the third temple. Folks. It's going to be great. <laughs> Hey, King Solomon, great builder. I'm a great builder. Jared Kushner, he he made a great building that one time where uh, it, it actually it was a bad business deal. My son's bad at uh, building. Uh. <laughs> actually, his goal. Trump is going to build the third temple, and he's going to collect all of the 144,000 Jews like Dragon Balls and use them to bring back. <laughs> his Folks, form. I'm, I'm going to bring about the end time. It's going to be great. Believe me. The, I'm going to open up the seventh seal. The, the best part is that Mike Pence unironically does this. <laughs> it's not a joke. That's actually just like his policy goals. Well, and if you watch this video, you can Mike Pence's grim visage just right behind him, like clearly waiting for his brain to pop so he can become president. Yeah, he's like, oh, man, when I'm president, I'm going to, Bethlehem's going to be the 51st state. Uh, we're gonna shoot every single Palestinian. Oh my, it's gonna be, it's gonna be so good. We're gonna make it illegal for people to eat with women that they aren't married to by themselves. <laughs> well, Pence making uh, Israel the 51st state is in direct opposition to Barack Obama making all 57 states. <laughs> Barack Obama, who officially declared ISIS. <laughs> America's newest state and instituted <laughs> Shania law. <laughs> now we can get Christian Sharia from Mike Pence. It's great. You know, that's, that's the great America that I can't for. And as I'm sure all of us can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, we've already started doing that kind of stuff. Like when we had the, the oil prayer day. <laughs> <laughs> About that. <laughs> or when Mary Fallon decided when we were like flying flags at half half mass because some people got killed in some imperialist war we shouldn't be in. <laughs> and in the same week she was like, Yeah, if you're 
so that I can get around the like discrimination part, no veterans get benefits anymore to keep the gays from getting benefits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Theocracy is great, guys. It's my shit. Especially whenever you have somebody who's like levels of like idiocy are like that one pope that put the pope before him the corpse of the pope before him on trial yes yeah that's that's what we're gonna do we're going to start zooming people for their past crimes putting them on show trials the way to go we're gonna take that monkey out of the ground and have another scope trial (laughs) but glad that our president has willing to engage in massive foreign conflict in order to appease a bunch of insane evangelicals. Many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home in those Oklahoma hills where I was born. Many a page of life has turned, many a lesson I have learned. Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong. Way down yonder in the Indian nation, ride my pony on the reservation in those Oklahoma hills where I was born. Now way down yonder in the Indian nation, the cowboy's life is my occupation in those Oklahoma hills where I was born. I'm Carl Roberts. And I'm Stephen Lastman. And this is Red Star over Oklahoma. We are a small political news podcast broadcasting about left Oklahoma and left politics in Oklahoma. I'm doing my best Adam impression impression again this week, guys. Uh, He's off for another week, uh, but luckily we got our uh, Boston correspondent. That's right. Wicked uh, cool over here. Actually, this is this is kind of weird. I think this is the first week that we we're having a show entirely without anyone like currently in Oklahoma. Um, but that's much one out of Oklahoma podcast. Uh, a European and a hey, a Yankee and a foreigner. It, that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Adam, Adam should be back uh, next week, as far as I know. Assuming he doesn't die from uh, law school finals, which is likely. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but that means I'm back on production. And, you know, thanks for being here, Lassie, to uh, do this. Yeah. Um, and without further ado, you know, uh, like, like we talked about in the cold open, we've got uh, a big, big starting national story. Um, and that is that on Wednesday, uh, Donald Trump uh, decided that the U.S. should finally, you know, take the plunge and move the embassy to Jerusalem, a city that by international law is currently occupied by Israel and has been since uh, for 50 years, actually this year, uh, since the (laughs) sixties and it is not legally Israel, but apparently we're going to move our embassy there uh, for, for some reason. Don't know why. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that Israel is what we say it is, Carl. That's uh, the Trump promise. Yeah, I mean, probably, you know, that that's how that should work, is that we should dictate foreign, you know, how, how foreign overseas territories work uh, with, with settler colon, colonies. You know, that's it's not close to home for America at all. Um, when, when the colony becomes the colony. Yeah, <laughs> turning it around. Um, but so th- this, this is a, a really big deal because 
like like I just said, since sixty seven, um, Israel has occupied Jerusalem, and and this has been like a sign. This has been a thing that that conservatives have always said. You know, oh, we want to move the embassy to Jerusalem to, you know, recognize that because the Bible is set in is in Israel that now a group of people should be able to call it their capital. Um displacing the massive amounts of indigenous people that have been there for years uh, you know dec- centuries millennia at this point um and no one's ever done it because the u.s's role because it'd be a foreign relations nightmare <laughs> well yeah and and the u.s has always played this role of being like we're we're america we're going to be the ones who are going to broker a peace deal so that we can solve this problem it's a, not since well, yeah, we, 48, we, we when Israel per- came into existence, but for a while we've been doing this, right? Yeah, well, we at least, like, pretended to give an olive branch to the Palestinians before, and now it just seems like they're not even trying to pretend it. Yeah, and, and one of the crazy things is I remember in um, one of the earlier debates when it was still, like, 17 fucking people running for the Republican nomination, Donald Trump was like, uh, actually, maybe we should listen to Palestinians sometimes. Maybe that's why we can't make a deal and it was like what the fuck like he didn't mean that no one thought he meant that like it's just somehow like some air got through the cheese hole in his brain and made him say something no of course trump's policy positions are whatever rambling thing is in his brain at that very second like trying to actually go back and it's it's such a boring thing that everyone still tries to do but be like actually mr trump you said this on the campaign trail that makes contradicting yourself and at this point, it's just so boring to even try and bring that stuff up, because obviously he has no real policy or values or any fixed belief in his head. It's no. just whatever pops into his head at the given moment is our new policy. Yeah, and, that's, and, and, and I think that's part of why this, this happened, is because Mike Pence has been sitting there in the Oval Office the whole time saying, move the, the capital to, move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem and recognize it as the Israeli capital. Do it, do it, do it. Because Mike Pence, no joke, probably does believe that if you get like 144,000 <laughs> Jewish people back into the state of Israel and you rebuild the third temple and something, that Jesus is going to come down from heaven and kill, and like put all the gays in con- conversion therapy camp. Um, <laughs> like, I, I don't even know if it's a joke that, that he thinks that. And, and that is like a, a meaningful political group in the U.S. that actually thinks like that. Before, yeah. Like, before we even talk about somebody like Sheldon Adelson. U.S. has said we're a neutral party who can do this. And then, well, I mean, we've said that the whole time. <laughs> and, you know, so yeah, and, and also, I mean, if you look at our foreign policy, like our foreign aid stuff, it's like multiple billions per year to Israel, and like no other country gets over like four, like five hundred million dollars a year individually. So, like, you want to cut some fat from the U.S. budget? Like, stop subsidizing israel would be an idea but like we've always at least acted like we were some kind of middle ground able to judge this fairly and and what everybody has said in palestine has been because we've said we're going to do this move finally and and we've actually instead of saying it on the campaign trail and then not saying it in the white house someone has said it in the white house the plo um that governs the west bank and hamas that governs the gaza strip have both both said no we will not like there have been a ton of issues to peace ranging from settlements to the fact that israeli troops like probably like just shoot 
children in Palestine for like looking at rocks near a border. Um, yeah, I mean, but yeah, all all you have to do is be in the area and exist as a Palestinian, and then you know every week you're running from white phosphorus grenades and just the Israeli military further and further back from the from East Jerusalem. And I mean, it, it's you're living in a war zone. More or less. Yeah, I mean, you, know, you literally. You, you literally are living in a war zone. But until this point, both the PLO and Hamas had been like, we can negotiate with the U.S. And now they both said, no, fuck that. Intifada round, however you want to count it, you know, three, four. Um, let's, get, let's change it. We're, we're, not going to have a, we're not going to be able to have real peace talks anymore. And that's also what's coming out of Europe. All the Europeans have said, you fucking ruined it. The Chinese have said, you fucking ruined it. And everyone except for BB fucking, uh, like, I can only get an erection if I know a Palestinian is getting killed right now, Netanyahu, ha- has, has said this is the worst thing possible. And, like, and this is the thing, too. I think it's really important to say for us on the American left in general, right? Like, it is a requirement to be pro-Palestinian. You don't have to support any of the groups. You don't have to support the PLO because they're a bunch of neoliberal shills. Hamas is like a terrifyingly bad Islamist organization. But like it, it, when you read some of the stuff that came out of it, like one of the things that happened is Hamas, um, Hamas actually didn't, it was some different uh, Sunni Salafist group. Um, Hamas has like ties to Iran and is not, and the group, and Hamas also says that, like, right now, you shouldn't be shooting rockets out of Gaza. Um, well, that, that's another thing. If you've even spoken to Iran, then that's just instant blacklist in the U.S. mind. Like, despite the fact that the Iranians are the only ones, like, giving any support to a lot of these Palestinian organizations, and, like, the only way they can survive, they're just like, what? You had any sort of contact with the Iranian government? Terrorists. Yeah, and and I mean... The thing is, in Gaza, they don't have anyone to turn to because U.S. and Israel have a blockade. Like, the Israelis, not in, in the 2010s, literally killed multiple people on, like, a peaceful boat just bringing food to Gaza. Um, work with the, the Egyptian military to shut out food shipments so that Gaza has to buy everything. And then what they did, what, what they did you know, blaming Hamas, even though Hamas says they didn't do it, and another Islamist group in the Gaza Strip says they did do it, they, they bombed a place in Gaza. Um, I just want to read this, right? Um, I, I want to yeah. read this quote from an independent article covering this. Um, of two reported rockets fired from the Gaza Strip, the first was claimed to have been intercepted by Israel's Iron, Iron Dome defense system. A second fell short of Israeli territory, according to reports in Israeli media. Uh, later, the IDF said that a rocket fired from the Gaza Strip had hit the southern Israeli city of Isterot. I don't. I don't know how to say that. Um, I cannot pronounce Hebrew or Arabic for that matter. Um, the rocket failed to explode and caused no injuries, according to public radio. And and the IDF's response to this shit, where they shoot one rocket out of the sky with fucking Star Wars lasers, right? Um, another rocket doesn't even make it to Israel out of the Gaza Strip, and then the third one just hits the ground and doesn't blow up. Was to like bomb children. Yeah. Well, and they they've got such a like. The Israelis have such a massive, uh, you know, military supremacy over what fragmented resistance exists in Palestine, and then they've got the backing of our military budget. It's 
clearly disproportional and like there's clearly one group being victimized and one group doing the victimizing. Not to say that like, you know, Israel doesn't deserve support in the region and doesn't have a like, you know, shouldn't should be completely discounted, but just the fact that there's obviously a very large uh you know, gap in the amount of power that the two groups have that is clearly like leaning towards the Israelis. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, one of the, it's it's one of those things. I think it's really instructive because a lot of Native American tribes who, you know, are like vehemently pro-Palestine, right? If you look at yeah, American history and you like compare like the the Plains Wars or like the forced resettlements uh, of, yeah, it's of a completely the analogous, yeah, situation. They just keep getting like relocated their land just keeps getting chipped away at incrementally over time until there's hardly anything left anymore. Yeah, and then you just say, oh, you, you don't get to be, you know, a part of society, you don't get to be included in political decisions, you don't have a right to exist, you know, you, you have to lose your language, blah, blah, blah. And it's also important to remember that for m millennia as well, this was not a problem. Like, Palestinian yeah. Arabs and Christians were able to live perfectly peacefully with Jewish people until the end of World War One in the Ottoman Empire. And, like, there's a ton of things to say about how the Ottoman Empire was shitty and all that kind of thing. But, like, this is not some, like, intrinsic thing that there's going to be some conflict here. Like, from... I mean, from, like... Well, you've got a just militarized theocracy that believes that it's their God-given right to own this land. <laughs> they're not going to be reasonable about this. Like, of course they're not going to be reasonable. They, they think that they have God on their side and are, like, in the right and have the divine right to this land in this area. Like, there's, there's no way that they're going to work it out amongst themselves peacefully. And uh, the fact that we're propping up their massive military actions just, like, makes them even more sure that they're in the right. Legitimizes their actions more than they already are being legitimized by, you know, the the United States and then the world at large. Well, yeah, and we also, I mean, the U.S. serves as this, like, shield, you know? Lebanon puts, like, per year over a thousand complaints in at the Security Council because Israelis consistently don't give a fuck about their airspace, and Israel's also occupying literally part of Syria in the Golan Heights, and nothing ever happens about it because even though all four other members of the Security Council with veto right. So Russia, China, uh, the UK, and France are like, uh, maybe this would be a lot easier to solve if, like, you know, Israel actually had to follow the fucking rules, like literally every other country. We just give them a pass with our veto, and and it's just it it it's one of those things. It's you want to fucking complain about Russia? This is something we said last episode. Complain about the influence that Israeli foreign policy has on how America acts internationally. You know? Oh, exactly. No, that's like. It's hugely problematic to our entire foreign policy, especially in the Middle East, and it influences our actions in a number of ways that just has resulted in some god-awful Middle East foreign policy. And of course, that's not just Israel. Yeah, there like, are plenty really of other, Israel, Saudi Arabia but, is another country that's like that. You, yeah, we, we just keep like reifying these military, militaristic, like, theocracy states, and it, we get surprised when it blows up in our faces. Yeah, it's more competent. And and we have the, the, the most unqualified piece of shit president <laughs> to be able to deal with this. You know, like 
Like, he probably, <laughs> somebody who's, like, genuinely most likely anti-Semitic on some level, who has, like, actual Nazi supporters. And, and, oh, yeah, no, I mean, this, this is a guy who sold the six million in the oven joke and behind closed doors, for sure. <laughs> yeah, like, like without question. And, and you know, this, this is one of those things that I think is really important to say as well, because there's nothing anti-Semitic about saying that maybe Israel shouldn't bomb kids in the Gaza Strip. <laughs> well, but, that, but he, 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 wouldn't, he doesn't give a shit that it's, you know, Jews or Palestinians or whomever. All he knows is that this gets points with the evangelical crowd in America. And I don't even know if he's even thought it that far ahead. But yeah, like all he knows is that this gets people to say, yeah, Trump. And I as a result, I... he's like, of course, of course I'm going to do it. People will cheer me for it? Yes. I also bet, though, that he's like, oh, yeah, Palestinians, they're Muslims. Ignoring the fact that, like, Palestine is also, it has, like, a ton of Christians as well, um, which is, like, this convenient thing that the Republicans so often do, and to some extent Democrats, but that we so often do where we're like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, Muslim, they're Arabs, they're Muslim. And it's like, no, this is more complicated than that. But, you well, know, you, you then, just get to write but, them off as terrorists because they're fucking Arab-speaking people that we assume are Muslim. And it's like, this is disgusting, you know? This is part of why racism is bad. Well, and even looking at this from a solely American perspective, like, like every single MAGA dipshit, just ignoring the fact that other countries exist, moving our embassy to Jerusalem is incredibly dangerous for the American ambassadors and, like, representatives at that embassy. Like, it's a less safe city for them to be in. Ignoring obviously the conflicts that come from Israel and Palestine, just moving our like representative to a more dangerous and violent prone city risks them getting hurt, which is just an entirely additional added level of stupidity to this decision. Well, and it's also coming from all those people that are like Hillary like personally murdered every exactly. American in Benghazi. No, what do you think would happen <laughs> if like if a if a Benghazi style thing happened under Trump? Like I mean, I'm sure they wouldn't, they'd probably still be like, well, you know, Hillary did Benghazi, even though we had a massive embassy incident. They're just, they're, they're setting themselves up for a very, like, possibly violent or problematic situation by moving to a city that's clearly less safe for American ambassadors. Well, and it's also, it's also... Uh, it not just on the safety front, on, on the day-to-day -day running of the, the embassy front. It's about, you know, it, Israel's not a fucking big country by, by land area or anything, so it's not terribly far away from Tel Aviv. But still, Tel Aviv is where literally every other country has their embassy. Tel Aviv is the seat of government, um, even if it's not... All right, we're, we're inconveniencing our embassy and putting them in danger just to make a statement toward southern christians about the, the middle east it's just completely disconnected from any political reality in the world. yeah and and it's just it's 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 one of those things where it's like we gain utterly nothing and 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 we might there might be another war in in bet well, yeah, between that's, israel that's and really palestine what it is. It, it's, it's there's nothing to be gained from it whatsoever Except for more like saber saber rattling against the Islamic countries. Yeah, which is just like why why we don't need that. We already have Donald Trump as president <laughs> to do that, anyways. Like this is yeah, yeah. Only... His, his existence is bad enough already. He doesn't need to start like actively 
seeing terrible foreign policy in the region. Yeah, and, and, and that just goes back to the point. The only person who has come out and said, this is good, is Benjamin Netanyahu. And that's because Benjamin Netanyahu is one of the slimiest fucking most evil... Poli- he is, like, up there with, like... I mean... The uh, Theodore Herzl uh, out of Washington, <laughs> D.C. wholeheartedly approves Trump's action. <laughs> It, well, and it's still, it's just like, man, this is just, this is fucked up. Um, this is one of the most just shittiest, dumbest things that could have happened. So, um, moving on from from that to one of the shittiest, dumbest things that could happen that that we told a, a literal we told you so that happened within the space of a week. Um, is something Paul Ryan decided to say. Uh, which was that now, uh, for 2018, something that should be on the agenda is uh, slashing entitlements, mainly Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security, because we need to deal with the debt and deficit. Um, this uh, is... Wait, wait, Carl, I thought that they said they weren't going to slash entitlements during that tax bill. <laughs> what, that, that's... That's the opposite of what they said they would do. Why? Why? Why would they? Uh, uh, Mr. President, sir, uh, you said that you would protect Social Security and Medicaid in your campaign, and I don't see you. Well, that makes you a liar. That's it's gonna work so well. <laughs> I'm just glad that I lost my Medicaid and Social Security to trigger the libs. Worth it. Actually, they're. <laughs> This was something I mentioned last episode, and it still is just the most like accurate description of why people vote Republican. And it was some guy who has some on uh, our conservative, the the conservative subreddit, right? And he was like, "I'm so glad they're finally fucking doing this. I know this means I will have higher taxes, but it's what we need." And it's like, cut off your nose to spite the libs. Literally, it's just like they they. You know, and it's why it's why there's so many people I see talking that are just like, and I think we should do this, that are saying, oh, Paul Ryan is a hypocrite. Republicans are a hypocrite if they try to do this because they blew this by the most conservative estimates, trillion dollar hole in the budget. But it's not what we should be doing as, as a polity, as people on the left. We should not be complaining about them being hypocrites or something. I mean, we no, should just be all. like, you're it's fucking lying. We, we all know they're it doesn't there, there's nothing that comes of calling them hypocrites anymore they don't care and i think that's what trump winning really showed these people is that it doesn't we don't have to pretend to care about the poor anymore we don't have, we don't have to put on the guise of like oh friend to the working people republicans trump winning just showed like oh our having an awful image doesn't even matter anymore we can still do the type of horrible things that we want just in the open now we don't even have to be coy about it yeah and so what the what the attack has to be instead is that not only is Paul Ryan some like I don't know like baby eating motherfucker <laughs> or something but that I mean yeah just seeing him like salivate over taking the healthcare of millions of people is just disturbing in itself Yeah in, in fucking March he made a joke at some national review event and like the national review is actually just where vampires that aren't cool hang out um <laughs> like he said something to the guy, and he was like, you know, 
cutting Medicaid is what we've been dreaming about since we were drinking kegs in college. It's something to that effect. And it's like, man, if you're in college dreaming about med- like cutting poor people's health, you should be dreaming about like, like having, like having sex with somebody that you don't really know. Like that, that, that should be the horizon of your activity. Not like, oh, uh, I'm getting uh, drunk and want poor babies to die. <laughs> nostalgic for my college days when I dreamed of denying poor people the ability to go to the doctor. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so nostalgic of my college days when I got to watch all those old people starve to death on the streets because we don't provide them with any pension. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just... It's one of those things that that we have to do. Yeah, sure, call them a liar and a hypocrite, but in the same breath say they literally don't give a fuck about you. Well, I think what needs to start happening is we need to really, like, because I don't think there's much of a vocabulary for this in the United States, and especially not in, like, our recent political history, but we need to start calling this what it is and talking about what it is, which is class warfare. And I don't think we've got a like a long history of talking about class in our country, but we really need to push that more. That's the way that you talk about things. Don't say the Republicans are hypocrites. They promised they wouldn't do this. They they are actively waging a war against poor people in our country and shifting wealth upward and making sure that there's no way that it could go back down. And that I mean, I, I, I remember very clearly when Occupy was happening, somebody asked Mitt Romney something about that. He's like, huh? What do you like some Occupy person asked him, what are you gonna do to to defend the 99% and he's like, oh my god, we all need to work together, you know, I'm here to defend all Americans, not just some Americans, and you're totally right, what we need is to say, no, some of these people want to fucking hurt you. Yeah, and I think that was, like, Occupy was a great movement and it's, like, idea and core, but I think that's one of the major problems it has, is it, like, didn't have the language to really describe what it was going for, because that's never been a discussion we've had in this country. Well, yeah, I mean, we haven't had that discussion since really, like, the fucking 30s or, or that was, 40s. I mean, like, like, Occupy had a lot of good things going for it, but ultimately their main message was, we don't like the bank, do something about them. But, you know, the general public really just doesn't have any concept of what to do other than that something needs to be done. And this is, this is what's important here is that, like, the reason... I think Trump won fundamentally is that Hillary Clinton want, ran on this ticket where she was like, let's all work together and hold hands. And Trump very clearly said explicitly, these fucking brown people are trying to take away your freedom. And like, That's it's a fucking he, lie. It's a fucking lie. It's not related bullshit. to truth. He pointed at someone and said, this is why your life is bad. And Hillary Clinton didn't do that. And that's, I mean... To echo a statement of almost every leftist across the country, Bernie would have won because he pointed to the banks and corporations and the people who are hoarding this money upward, all the, the billionaires, the wealthy people in this country, and said, these people are why your life is bad. This is why you don't have as good a as 50 years And that's- This is why, you know, you, have a, you live in a precarious situation all the time. And we need to do something about this. We need to move this wealth to you. This, this, they need to face consequences. And then, like, this, they can't have this much money. And that's, I mean, the thing is, that's exactly what Paul Ryan is doing. Is He's doing the same thing Trump did. Is he's saying, these people are why your life is shit. These poor people taking all the benefits. And that's how the language works. There was that guy, I think it was Orrin Hatch, uh, Senator Orrin Hatch out of Utah, who was like, the fucking... 
people on welfare just spending all their money on like drugs and women and movies, which is like I don't I don't understand if all well, poor people Democrats are only... male or or lesbian, right? <laughs> yeah, but the Democrats' only response to that is to say like, "Excuse me, good sir," and then say, "Have you no decency?" and then wonder why they lose every election. And it should be, it really should be, okay, number one, we don't have to give a shit about the fucking deficit anymore. Fuck that. Every single American gets a pony. I want to see in 2020, somebody like fucking Kamala Harris say, every American gets a free pony. The government will pay for your pony. It will add $6 trillion to the deficit. I don't care. I'm going to piss that money away. It doesn't mean anything. I want to see Well, that. also, I hate that the analogy of calling healthcare a pony was just like such a, I mean, it was a terrible take on it and coming out of the clinton camp just showed how how much contempt she really had for the lower class when she was running it's just like well, these poor people want some like toys affectations like no they want to not go into debt they don't want to die from being 50 dollars short on their gofundme campaign for insulin which literally happened yeah no, literally that's, happened that's not something that should be happening in the most powerful, wealthy country in America. In the most powerful, wealthy country that, that has literally ever existed. That should not happen. And, yeah. and when you hear somebody like Chuck Schumer be like, oh, you know, uh, this tax bill, you know, dealing with the deficits, something we could do a lot of good work on together. It would be nice. It's like, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I don't want to hear anybody talk about the deficit. You want to fix the deficit? Okay, like, let's cut Sheldon Adelson's throat on the altar of the deficit and, and do tax all of his inheritance and clear up a bunch of the deficit, you know? That's well, also, like, what, what average working American, like, having to work 60 hours a week so they could afford a two-bedroom home with their three kids who could barely, like, make ends meet, gives a shit about what national deficit is. They want their lives to be better. They want to be allowed some decent standard of living where they aren't concerned about, you know, any tiny, you know, medical incident or anything like that, like completely destroying their financial situation. And even even if you talk about it economically instead of politically like this, because you're totally right, like a lot of the deficit hawkery comes from this paper that was published in, I think, 2014, where some idiot chud put like mistyped data and said that when government debt reaches a certain level, then the whole economy goes to shit. And then it turns out the Excel spreadsheet just had bad data in it. And that that was just not true. There's no reason to care about it. Unless you're a rich person who doesn't like the yeah. idea of inflation because it means that your, your fucking 50,000 subprime mortgages you own are going to be worth less money for you to spend on, like, getting Russian prostitutes to pee on you in Moscow before you get elected president. Like, unless, you're, unless you have that kind of money, it doesn't mean anything to you. And until we realize that, holy shit, more than half of America literally doesn't have a savings account with money in it, we need yeah. to fix that. There will be no way to fight Paul Ryan saying, on one side, we have to put a trillion dollar hole in the deficit. Also, we need to make sure that poor people don't have health care to deal with the deficit. Until well, we do that, that's not going to happen. This, like, I mean, taking away entitlements and, you know, the tax break was obviously, like, clear, you know, class warfare move to move money to the 1% in the country. But then taking away Social Security and Medicare is how they're going to pay for it. But what that really shows is there's this uh, 
uh, ideology or philosophy called uh, eliminationism. And, like, in the sort of, like, climate apocalypse world we're heading towards, it essentially says that, like, as more and more disasters happen, as we have more and more problems in our country, resources become too scarce so that we can't start doing things like helping every single person in every single city. And so what this move shows is that they're already, like, pre-designating who those people who are going to, you know, be safe are, who those people who the privileged people in our society are who get the resources when we don't have enough for everyone. And, and to, to tie this into Oklahoma, if you look at wealth distribution in Oklahoma and who's going to be affected by these kind of things, who are affected by cuts at the, at the local level and who are affected at the national level, they, it's like more than half of Oklahoma that they are going to say, fuck off, you know? You can die. Yeah. You can die yeah, in the climate crisis. They're further securing the positions of the wealthy and the positions that they have and making sure that they can still live their comfortable lives while the poor people in our country just become more and more immiserated. Yep. I mean, that's, that's where we are. Um, so everybody just remember, call it fucking class war. That, that's what we should yeah, take. Exactly. And... You know, I think throwing around the terminology of class war and really learning how we can start to talk about this in the open, because class has always been a taboo in our country, is the way forward and is the way we need to start thinking about how to talk about this in Trump's America. Moving on to Oklahoma news. Um, another case of the class war that actually hits kind of close to home. Uh, I, uh, you, you, but before we jump into the story, I just want to tell the story because you, you lived through it with me too. Uh, whenever I got my <laughs> wisdom teeth out, <laughs> that was like the coolest fucking shit of my life, right? Because I, I got my wisdom teeth out and the doctor, uh, the, the dentist um, was just like, oh yeah, he's getting his wisdom teeth out. Okay, uh, yeah, give him Oxycontin for like two weeks straight. Just give him straight up you know, heroin equivalent stuff. And my mom freaked out because my sister, when she got her wisdom teeth out and like a little bit of backstory, my sister is allergic to everything. Like, I think if you say the word <laughs> bees, she like needs an EpiPen at this point. Um, I got all the good genes. Sorry, Elizabeth. I did. I won the genetic lottery there. But so my mom freaked out about me getting Oxycontin because my sister couldn't handle it. And so they gave me this stuff called Demerol, which is normally only used for people it was heavy duty stuff <laughs> yeah like it's normal medical usage is to get heroin addicts unaddicted to heroin right um did it work are you no longer addicted to heroin i i am smack free since 93 <laughs> <laughs> sadly smack sounds like a great drug right um Except now just take them <laughs> yeah now i'm just i i go get my prescription refilled all the time um but um and i i mean I did not need, I needed it for like two or three days and it gave me a two week prescription and thank God my mom hid those pills from me because I was fucking <laughs> into it. I was like texting people. I, I had no business texting inappropriate things. I like when I, I was like vomiting blood, but like laughing because I was just so whacked out on opioids because opioids are the fucking shit. Like people, people don't tend to talk about this in the opioid crisis. And that's what this story is because, um, Oh, yeah, it, they're so great that you'll ruin your life. Yeah, I mean, no one wants to be an addict. There, there was some NPR story that I, I, I mentioned before on the show where some actual real-life heroin addict in Baltimore is like, yeah, if people want to do heroin 
and they say, hey, I want to try heroin once. I tell them, no. <laughs> no, I will not help you get heroin. Heroin sucks. Being addicted to heroin is the worst. And it's that the is not a try once type of thing, too. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not fun. And the form that the class war takes in this instance is that Big Pharma, for the purpose of creating profits, tries to get people addicted to opioids, essentially, right? Um, and the state of Oklahoma is actually suing four big pharma companies <clears throat> for having actively tried to drive up sales of uh, opioid pharmaceuticals in the state of Oklahoma. Um, and I want to, I just want to read this uh, piece of reporting the, the Frontier did. And if you guys haven't checked out the Frontier before, it's really great local journalism based out of Tulsa. Um, yeah, it's a lot of yeah, they and and they cover a lot of stuff. They cover like hard hitting stuff like this. Uh, they they were part of that investigation, finding out that uh, Oklahoma criminal courts are using slave labor uh, as like punishment and so on. But in this one, I I just want to de- definitely one of the good news sources. Yeah, they're up there with like uh, non doc the, the OK Policy Institute on, on putting out good stuff. But I I just want to read this. Um, like laying out the arguments from both sides, because uh, I think it says a lot. Uh, so here, here we go. Um, attorneys for the pharmaceutical companies argued that the claims brought by the state failed to show specific examples where the companies caused Oklahoma doctors to irresponsibly increase opioid prescri- prescribing habits for pain management. The state's jurisdiction was preempted by the FDA's regulation of the medications and their marketing. That a doctor's independent judgment and FDA-required labeling, warning of addiction risk breaks any change of causation by the companies and that the state did not show any specific examples of the company directly convincing doctors to prescribe the drug in an irresponsible manner. The state's attorneys, meanwhile, pointed to the large and simultaneous increase in marketing of opioid pain medication beginning with Purdue Pharma and OxyContin in 1960, uh, 1996, that medicine my dentist tried to give me for something that you just need aspirin for, um, the increase in, treating, in treatment using opioids and the number of overdose overdose deaths from opioid drugs in the state and county. In 2016, Oklahoma ranked first in number of milligrams of opioids distributed per adult, said Reggie Whitten, one of his attorneys representing the state. The state also showed in its exhibits a photo of a poppy field in Tasmania owned by Ta- Tasmanian Alkaloids, a sub- uh, subsidiary of Johnson Johnson, where Whitten said about 85% of the world's opium for prescription medication comes from. Marketing video for OxyContin, Whitten said, makes false statements about addiction risk and charts showing payments from the defendants of advocacy organizations acting as acting front groups and medical opinion leaders to promote the drugs. Which is like one of those things where like, this is, when I say this is class war, what I mean is that these companies have an interest in getting people addicted to opioid, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like the idea of the cigarette industry, but way worse. Yeah, because... They, They know that their profits come from addicts. It's not from people who take these occasionally, like for surgery, coming out of surgery, they're the biggest revenue stream for them are people who are addicted to this and can't stop buying. And so they have this vested interest in doing that, partially because our health system is, um, you know, designed around profit, which is, which is something we, we've yelled about on the show plenty of times before, but also mm-hmm. um, fundamentally because like life in capitalist America fucking sucks. <laughs> Like I you, mean, yeah, they say religion is the opiate of the masses, but in this case, opium is the opiate of the masses. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 literally true. Like, like 
just think about think about that for a second. Oklahoma ranked first in number of milligrams of opioids distributed per adult in 2016. Well, we have this massive jump 10 years ago in overdose deaths in in the state, right? So for like 10 years, we see that coinciding with the massive ad, ad campaign directed at doctors, opi fucking pharma companies are, are now trying to say that, oh, it's not our fault. Uh, the fact that there's a fucking risk thing on the side of the box means that we're not responsible for the fact that we'll gladly sell fucking addicts this shit i mean yeah well and you've seen those like the convention videos of the conventions that they have for doctors it's more like an herbalife convention where they're trying to sell these like you know deadly painkillers to as many people as possible they're telling doctors to give them out like candy and it's it's also it's just like this is part of what's so disgusting about this is that like you know with most medications right like and this this is an example i've used before and i'm going to fucking use again like chemo people need chemo in certain instances chemo fucking sucks no one is doing chemo because it's fun no one is doing chemo because they want to people are doing chemo because they're gonna die if they don't do chemo like the whole idea of chemo is that it will kill you if you right. do it and that it it just kills the cancer faster and no one is doing ad campaigns for that for a reason because it's a thing that you, you wouldn't only be using yeah and that's that's how it is with things like opioids it should not be a thing that people are using unless they need it. And but it's absurd that this is even like a for-profit industry. It's medicine. Like it's it's just ridiculous that they're trying to sell this to people. It should be you need it or you don't. There's no reason to market it. And or at least there should. There obviously is that they market it. Yeah, I mean, they fundamentally really shouldn't be. And if we had good at the national level, but also at the state level, good investment in, say, public universities and research, research mm -hmm. institutes doing the work on cancer research, on, on especially new pharmaceuticals or something, then there wouldn't be this, then the whole reason that they have for saying, oh, we need to increase sales so that we can fund research. No, you fucking don't. If you just spend public money on generating that research. Yeah, but they uh, they've actively avoid or actively try and hamper the research because they know what's going to come out of it. They know it's not going to look good for them, and they know it's going to put down their industry. Like the people doing the biggest biggest research into these drugs are the pharma companies who make money from it. It's the most blatant conflict of interest you could have. And it's, I mean, it also it, it, it kills people. It's literally killing people in the state of Oklahoma right now. That's why we're to, bringing to this the point case. that this is a like public health emergency. It's it's a crisis. It's not like, yeah, it's it's a legitimate public health emergency. I don't have any numbers in front of me, but it's like one of the highest causes of premature death in both Oklahoma and the country. There are literally, and this was something we said earlier in an earlier episode about this, but there are literally more people dying from opioid overdoses than there were people dying at, in the Vietnam War at the height of the war. Literally, the oh, opioid wow. crisis is worse than Vietnam in terms of dead people. <laughs> and, and these fucking companies are sitting here saying, oh, it's not our fault they're addicted, even though we like... Like, if we compare, for example, if I go to the doctor here in Germany and I say, oh, you know, I, I broke my arm. I would like some pain medication. They will be like, tough fucking luck, motherfucker. Like, you can go buy <laughs> aspirin if you want. Like, tough it out. That's shitty, but... There's not an opioid death crisis here. <laughs> yeah, but you're but you're not gonna be you know two months into it on the streets selling your possessions for more painkillers. 
No, a hundred percent not. Like I literally, if we just compare that instance of of getting your wisdom teeth out, I have a a friend here who's actually a, a an American and a Lithuanian. He he's older. He's in his early fifties. He had to get his wisdom teeth out. They did not give him any pain pain medication. It fucking sucked for him. He was not happy about that, but he was okay. And they gave me a fucking seventeen year old stop doing heroin drugs. Yeah, well, and I think that almost everyone in Oklahoma has a story like this. I know that, you know, my dad had a co-worker who went in for a pretty routine surgery. They put him on uh, opiates to help after the surgery. And, you know, three months later, he has to go to a rehab institute because he got hooked on him just from like a basic in and out procedural surgery that they gave him completely way too strong, unnecessary drugs. And why did they do that? Because these companies make fucking money from it. It's so yeah. it's so straightforward. And what I want to see, and I think this will happen, and I'm really happy it's happening too, but I, I think it'll genuinely happen. I want to see that those fucking companies, just like with cigarette companies, have to pay a shit ton of money and themselves mm-hmm. have to fund the programs that get people off these drugs. No one else should no, pay it's, it's, it's very encouraging to see that Oklahoma is like taking action and going after the FDA, holding them res- going after the drug companies as well, like holding these people responsible. Because, I mean, that's, that's what they need to be called out for what they're doing and for making serious, like, life-ruining painkiller drugs a, a legal issue and making sure that they aren't something that can be marketed and sold. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it, it, that's the thing that we're talking about and why, the, why we're socialists is because... What? In every other country, like, the idea that you have ads for medicine is considered absurd. Yeah, no, like fucking Europeans all the fucking time are like, I went to America one time and I watched TV and there were medicine. Why don't you, why doesn't the doctor tell you the medicine you need and then you take it? That's what medicine is for. I mean, that's, that's so on its face true, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's not even hard to articulate why that's true. And it's just, you know, I really hope that fucking the executives of Johnson and Johnson have to lose their fucking fifth yacht and we're we're just living in brave new world everyone takes their soma because their lives are so shitty and that's how you live your life and yeah i mean that's just it that that is what these drug companies want they literally want us to be in a dystopian novel they they put us in a dystopian novel quite frankly (laughs) all all of that being said it's, it's really encouraging to see that there's some action being taken against them that they're really going after these people and holding them responsible for this. Yeah, and and while I don't, I I don't see it as like a long term funding solution for the state of Oklahoma. It is something that we need fucking money right now. Yeah, no, the, the money they get from these drug companies should be going, all of it, one hundred percent, should be going right back into funding you know public health programs that can help mitigate the opium problem we have in our state. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really good uh, segue to our next segment about Oklahoma news, because right now our, you know, health services in the state of Oklahoma are facing what in March, uh, come March, will just be like telling old people, you get to die now, um, because... <laughs> bring out, bring out your dead. <laughs> that, that actually might start happening at... Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get the cart coming around to pick up the, the corpses in our Coming around to the uh, the nursing homes that we force old people into at massive expense, way way more expensive than having in home service because uh, 
the the House Republicans in the state legislature just like think that if they pee enough in their own mouth, like oil companies will keep getting them elected. Um, which is why we have, or or rather, are going to have another special session come December eighteenth. Um, everybody listening to the show knows that we have basically spent the entire time the show has existed, and this is what episode twenty three, I think. That's that's twenty three weeks. You know, we're coming up on half a fucking year of this. I mean, it hasn't stopped being relevant to the shittiness of our state, so it makes yeah. sense. It's been, it's been one of the most important things, and we have to do it again. Special session to Electric Boogaloo. Because the, the, the bill they passed did, and, and that's not, once again, this is not a joke, this is true, set up a situation where we might have a Monty Python Black Plague scene <laughs> collecting old people's bodies because we refuse to give them refuse to fund our health services since and, and and what happened in the last session as like a special recap and i'm going to post this article what i'm drawing this from uh, the okay policy article um they passed a budget that did none of the things that mary fallon said this is why you're in special session and basically said we'll just cut a bunch of funding to healthcare services and all the funding that we're gonna keep and cover the hole that was generated by the cigarette uh tax getting struck down by the supreme court We'll cover that with one-time cash. Uh, uh, excuse me, I'm pretty sure the Democrats were the ones who struck down the cigarette tax. Uh, <laughs> pretty sure this is all Oklahoma Dems' fault. If, if those 26 votes in the House had agreed to just literally cave on every single thing that went into the special session saying they supported, we wouldn't have had this problem at all. <laughs> Except we would have because what the Republicans put forward as a plan did not include solving any of the problems <laughs> um but now we're gonna have to per diem pay again all those fucking shitlords um thirty thousand dollars a day to go back to special session because the governor finally found her fucking spine and is saying i'm not gonna go out in 2018 without anything to show for and you all have to come back and talk about this and there's been some complaints but coming from a number of different people, but the real complaint has come from Speaker of the House, Charles McCall, because that spineless shit for brains motherfucker that makes Trump look like an actual smart person is unable to get his goddamn caucus in the House to come together and say, actually, if we want to have schools in the state of Oklahoma, we need to tax things that happen, like oil production in the state of Oklahoma. You can't get away with taxing things that don't happen in the state of Oklahoma if you want to have basic funding. And yeah. I mean, that's just like their go-to policy for anything. Anything that happens in the state, oh, we'll cut oil taxes. As if that's going to generate more revenue in the state. But and and just, so, yeah. it just means that fucking Chesapeake, Devon... Williams, all these kinds of fucking companies get to build these disgusting ass towers in <laughs> our downtowns, and then be like, Ooh, "How how are we gonna make money if we if we have to pay taxes?" And the answer is uh, clearly, you will get the oil out of the ground and sell it. That's how you make money. That's why well, we and they tax do the, you. They do the same things that that the major evil tentacle like companies have done for. Uh, 150 years. It's the same thing that the Rockefellers did. They do a couple of small, like, of, like charity building. They'll fund one school or one museum and get their name on it and then say, look, we're helping the community. 
And that's enough to make people be like, oh, they built a museum. Of course we shouldn't tax them at all. And, and until we say, fuck your fucking museum, we want people to stay in the state of Oklahoma to teach people and not have to fucking starve while they do it. Until yeah. we do that, we're not going to be able to get anywhere. And that's why Mary Fallon called the special session number two. Um, so everybody, everybody listening, and I do genuinely mean this, call Charles McCall, find his fucking home number, dox the motherfucker, and just call and, and swear at him. Like a hundred percent. Like people in Oklahoma need to keep berating the legislature until they actually start making our state work. Yeah, and that's I, the that's the only thing that they're going to respond to, losing their seat. And we need to let them know that we like need to let them know that there is a coalition trying to take their seat. And the thing and is, to make sure that they don't get reelected. We can focus on a very specific group of people here. It's John Eccles. It's Charles McCall. It's House Republican leadership. The Senate, the fucking House, uh, or rather Senate Republicans were like, yes, we will raise oil tax increases enough that Democrats will vote, vote on it. We will. And the governor as well was like, I am okay with that. We can do that. I will sign that bill. As long as we have consistent revenue to the point that we can raise teacher pay and make sure that the basic, the super fucking basic health services we provide to the poor don't go away so that I don't have to deal with people literally fucking dying because of my policies. It's just House Republican leadership and House Republican members. Look up that list. There's about 20 of them that didn't vote for the bill, and then there's the House leadership. Call them up. I don't give a shit. Just play, like, raccoon screams for fucking hours. (laughs) Set up some fucking Google voice number to call them and do that. I don't care. Make their lives hell. That's the only point who change their minds on it, is if they are scared for their seat. And and that's what we have to do. And, you know, if you live in Atoka and you listen to this show, fucking sign up to run for it. And your whole campaign should be Charles McCall wants you to die of starvation so that Devin can build fucking Baradour in Oklahoma City. I think that's one thing that was super encouraging to me about the uh, 2017 special elections in November. Seeing a whole lot of socialists win small seats is the way that we need to build a coalition. It needs to be a grassroots thing. It needs to be these small seats that have been held by those Republicans for like decades that, you know, left-wing people start going after. And it's a thing that's worked in Oklahoma. Allison Eichley Freeman, for example, in West Tulsa won that. That's uh, the latest one, and that was also in Yeah, that was, that was a big win. And it's happened, it's happened all around the state. So once again, let's repeat that. If, 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 if you feel like, if you feel comfortable running, if that's part of your political practice, fucking do it. And seriously, somebody run for that Atoka seat of Charles McCall and, and make a, 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 a mask that you wear to your campaign rallies that is just Charles McCall's face with a dildo for a nose. Like, I <laughs> fucking do it, okay? Just anything to show dissent against these people who are atavistically carving up our state. It's what we need. It's, it's what we need. And support, support people, you know? Don't get too picky about it. Just fucking get these people out of office. Um, but... That's going to be it for Oklahoma news this week, guys. Uh, and now we're going to talk about something that's really cool. I think we're both really excited to talk about it. Um, and that is, uh, you know, we decided to do this section before this op-ed from the Tulsa World came out, um, since you're studying, you know, urban that's design. That's right. I have an uh, urban planner, urban planning master's degree at Boston University, um, learning stuff. How to, you know, make sure that people can move around cities and 
really make sure that they are designed for the public. So the core of these articles are essentially, can you live in Oklahoma without a car? And I think that essentially what we've gained from reading all these articles is no. Um, <laughs> the, we can end it right there. No. The end. No. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, so we found these uh, a, a number of articles, uh, and I think the Tulsa World one is probably the most indicative one on how taking transit in Oklahoma actually works out in the reality. Uh, this is a 2014 Tulsa World article uh, by Jeannie Graham called, titled, Take a Tulsa Transit Bus to a Destination Just Once. Uh, then it says, Plucking uh, down a dollar seventy-five, I traversed an odyssey from 71st Street and Yale Avenue to downtown a mere two hours on a city bus. With the help of two seasoned riders on a different day, I cut that down to an hour and a half for a one-way trip. Here's a challenge for every person in Tulsa. Go to the nearest bus stop and take the bus somewhere specific. Work, a store, your kid's school. As you make your way across the city, think about people who have no option but think about how to pick up groceries. Get a child to football practice or an elderly patient to a medical clinic on a daily basis. Think about going out for the movies, dinner, or even a date. After a couple times on public transit, you will come away with a new perspective. And I think for anyone who has made the just Sisyphusian effort of trying to take public <laughs> transit in Tulsa, they will understand how hard it really is to get anywhere in Tulsa and as well as Oklahoma City trying to use the public transit, trying to use our just god-awful buses. And I, I think it's worth saying that like when she cuts the time down, to an hour and a half, if she could drive to uh, to downtown Oklahoma City in the time it yes, takes her to no, take it, a bus it, to downtown Tulsa. Yeah, that's maybe a 15-minute drive if you have a car. But it takes an hour and a half to be a bus. And, and that, Which I think this ties in perfectly with what we were talking about earlier, about how, you know, the resources that different classes of people have get very separated. There's clearly like the privileged class that who can afford a car that can get around the city no problem. And then our shitty, shitty bus system makes it impossible for anyone who can't afford a car to get around the city. So you get people buying, I mean, our friend Nick is a perfect example. You get people buying like a $500 car because they can't get around anywhere and then they end up spending three grand over the course of having that car just to like keep it in barely functioning condition. Uh, and are just stuck having to deal with that because there's no alternative to getting around anywhere in Oklahoma. And, and I mean, I think it's important to say that you know it is going to be hard to say take rural Oklahoma and make it carless or something. That, that's difficult. I, that, I that's something that is a lot better off than the scope of OKC and Tulsa for sure. Yeah, but then in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, and when you look at the numbers of over a little bit over sixty percent of Oklahoma's population lives in an urban area. There's no reason why we couldn't have that, and we used to have that. You used to be able through into the yeah, 60s. Yeah, and Tulsa and Oklahoma City used to be, you know, street have streetcars, um, and then yeah, even into the 50s and 60s, there was a massive bus network that thousands of people took daily. It was the main way to get in and out of downtown. It worked really well, and as Tulsa suburbanized as people move further and further from the city, as interstates were constructed, 
it just became more and more necessary to have a car to the point where there's literally no way to live in the city and not have a car. More. Yeah, and I mean, I remember one time um, Nick and I were trying to go buy a pack of smokes at Quickie Mart underage because we were just scumbags. Um, yeah, like, like you do as a <laughs> shitty kid in Tulsa. Yeah, you, you go to the Quickie Mart and you'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm 17 and buying smokes and you all are selling a bong to a 12-year-old. Like, that's questionable, guys. Come on, right? And you take the bus because for some reason your car is out of shape or, or your sister needs it or something. And Nick, I don't know, can't drive at the time, right? Um, maybe we were pretty young than 17. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we went there uh, from Brookside, uh, you know, the 51st of fucking Peoria, right? And then to come yeah. back, we had to choose between waiting 30 minutes at fucking Brahms or just walking back. And in that no, time... It's faster to walk. Just, like, in more cases than not, it's faster to walk than take the Tulsa buses. And it's a fucking straight line, okay? It's just literally Peoria. And it, and it made more sense for us to walk. You know? Like, this is... In a city where it used to be that you could go from, you know... Anywhere in the city to Sand Springs in like 30 minutes to an hour on public transit for almost no money. It's where now you can't do any of that. And we have fucking a downtown surrounded on all sides by highway. It just needs to be two sides of downtown with a highway. It doesn't need to be all four sides. Yeah, our city has been fragmented by the highways, by car culture. And the bus system is really like the only way to give access back to these people who can't buy into the car culture of Oklahoma. And it barely even exists. There's barely even a framework for a bus system. I actually, and there was a time my my dad has been in like an inordinate number of car wrecks, not caused by him in the past few years. It's been like three. Um, and he and my mom were were in a in the car, and they got rear-ended by a guy, um, like sixteen, driving illegally because he had to work a job. His uh, sister had to work a job and his mom had to work a job and the family could only afford one car and they all had to work in South Tulsa and they all lived on the north side, right? And so they were got into that wreck, can't afford any kind of meaningful insurance, something like a fourth of Oklahoma drivers don't have insurance, one of the highest rates in the nation, right? And all of a sudden, all three of them can't work anymore because you know, the kid's overworked. The kid should not be in that situation in the first place, but because there's a car accident, right? Yeah. The whole family is suddenly thrust into poverty. Exactly. Well, no, imagine if you are a working head of a family and your only solution to getting to and from work you can't afford a car is that you have to take the bus and you have to spend two hours before your job and two hours after your job. You lose four hours out of your day just to commuting, which I mean, clearly hampers your ability to live your life, raise your kids, provide any sort of extra time that you could benefit your life from. It's, well, and this, it's taking away a large portion of people's lives, just not being able to commute efficiently. There was, a, there was an, uh, another uh, blog we, we used for this um, called Carlos in Oklahoma City, Carlos in OKC. Yes, and yes. they did the math. Something like the population of Muskogee lives in the Oklahoma City metro area and doesn't have access to a car, you know? What, yeah. What, what does that mean economically, you know? Yeah, they, they end up just 
stuck where they live, and all of a sudden you got all of the like the resources and money from downtown or like parts of Oklahoma City or parts of Tulsa that are prosperous is not flowing into the neighborhoods that don't have transit access. Well, and if you just think about if you just think about Tulsa, you know, there's not a good grocery store north of the Reesers at 15th and Lewis, right? Yeah. No, that's a perfect example. You've got massive food deserts in North Tulsa. Uh, like the bus system does not work very well for people there. It's really hard to get from North Tulsa to say downtown or Cherry Street or Brookside. Relatively close places, like not more than probably two miles, I think. And it could take these people up to an hour, hour and a half to get just a couple miles from their home where all of the jobs and the money and opportunities are. Even my family, whenever we, um, because my, my parents are both uh, uh, from Oklahoma City, and they, they moved up to Tulsa um, when my mom was pregnant with me, right? And my dad was like, you know, maybe we shouldn't have a car. Let's see if we cannot have a car. And they looked up this stuff, and it was going to take longer to take the bus to his job than it would take with a car to drive to Oklahoma City, right? And, and, yeah, and his yeah. drive to his job was under 15 minutes, you know? That's but yeah, and I guess uh, we we keep saying you can't get around Oklahoma without a car, but lots of people have to. Like it's just there are just people who are forced to do this all the time, and it eats away at their lives. And it it has massive public health issue problems. It has math, massive just any name any social problem in the state of Oklahoma, and it is compounded by car issues. Um, another one. And, and a really cool blog that we're we're, we're going to post all these blogs that we're drawing from. Uh, yeah, on there's, the subreddit. there's a, lot of, a lot of cool people doing on the ground work, fighting for transit. Yeah, Oklahoma City. And, and that's important to recognize. And we we we're going to share that all with you all, and you all should read this. But this one I think is really good. Uh, uh by this blog called the a Accidental Urbanist, right? And she just talked about education funding and how car centric development in Tulsa specifically has been one of the biggest problems for funding education because apparently there's about $2 million more um, or $2 million or $200,000 more uh, coming from property taxes, ad valorem property taxes that go to Tulsa education funding, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that if you just compare the two El Guapo locations in Tulsa. So the one at 81st and Harvard, I think it is, and then the one downtown in uh, the Blue Dome District, right? Um, the per foot increase in tax revenue generated by the downtown one compared to the one that in South Tulsa that has this massive parking lot, you know, is offset from the road, et cetera, et cetera, is about $4.60 per, per square foot more in tax dollars. And then if you wanted to raise an extra $50 million for uh, Tulsa Public Schools, and you compared these two, you would need space roughly equivalent to the Pearl District um, with El Guapo style, downtown style development, or the entirety of Midtown. Uh, and that, that's three-fourths three of a square mile for getting that $50 million with development based on property taxes for and El Guapo, the downtown El Guapo that's based on people who walk, who don't take cars, or who, if they do take cars, are coming from out of town, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, versus 17 square miles needed to generate that. Where are those 17 square miles going to come from, you know? It's a massive amount of land. 
would have to be super far out of that's how you get the suburbs yeah and it and it doesn't match up either with that kind of uh, of space because that 17 square miles is based on 17 square miles of a commercial building and its parking lot right and so as you spread out you have to add tons more mileage in terms of the homes to get that whereas if you talk about the downtown el guapo for example you need a couple blocks of three-story restaurants or you know let's say that's based on a two-story building uh, with the tax plan. So let's say you have two stories of business and then two stories above that of housing, right? You can yeah. get that with all the housing you need to support the workers, to support the neighborhood, to support people working in other neighborhoods. And you Absolutely. can get that tax like, revenue. I mean, having a good public transit system encourages density, makes the city more walkable. Um, it's, it's really an investment in the city. And I think it's worth talking about how to get defunded um because in most cities public transit loses money that's just a function of how it works and how it's supposed to work um and then of course you get city governments that say oh public transit isn't making as much money in you know fees and fares for taking the bus as it is spending on maintaining those routes they are really quick to cut it uh but the problem is that it the benefits of public transit don't just come down to the fare revenue versus the expenditure. There are so many other hidden costs that come with eliminating your public transit. Um, it's said a lot that, you know, people who take buses and take the trains subsidize uh, drivers. And it's true because that means there are less people on the road. There needs to be less road infrastructure improvements because you have people taking public transit, because you have these mass transit solutions that have much less wear on them. you've got you know 50 people taking a bus that's 50 less cars that you have on the road well 49 With less cars 49 less cars uh, uh but that's also important to articulate in that specific sense because we pay for those things you know yeah that, i think it's important to make oklahomans especially the like suburban ones who love having their four-car garage they need to know that having a public transit system makes their lives better, too. It makes them easier to drive around the city as well. well and, and I think that's what happens. People see a public transit system that they're like, well, I have a car. I'm not going to take that. Of course, I'm not going to pay extra tax money for it. And then it just gets cut. And what we should, what we really should do, I think, is start saying that, oh, you want to live in some fucking suburban development in South Tulsa? Okay. The suburban development has to pay for all the roads. We we yeah, will not build new. We will not build nor take care of those roads. If you, if, that's and, the thing. We need to start charging car drivers what they're actually costing the city, rather than subsidizing them with all of the road programs and stuff. Because the people driving cars in our state are the ones who aren't paying their way. And and that this is again a form of class war because these poor people have to take the shitty public service that is entirely underfunded. In order to subsidize fucking Braley, suburban mom extraordinaire who's married to some guy <laughs> who, like, probably yells at her in public and works for an oil company and they have, like, five cars that are too big and they're destroying the environment and, and, and being fucking mooches on everyone else. Fuck Applebee's manager who wants to take his F-250 with birthing hip wheels to the store five minutes away then, yeah, that's, that's the person who's benefiting from our just massive growth of public transit. And one of the big things about public transit, and this is true everywhere, is that it is successful when it benefits everyone in the city. Like a city like New York, 
which obviously incomparable with Tulsa or OKC, but the reason that it has such a good public transit system is because wealthy people use it, because middle-class people use it. It's not just a system built for the poor, and so when budgets come up, you have these wealthy people who also benefit from taking the New York City subway saying, no, don't cut that. I use that. It helps me. It benefits my life. We need to do the same thing with our you know, bus system. Of course, it's not going to be as extensive as the New York system, but we need to come up with a building a bus system that, you know, that wealthy people use, that people in Midtown or South Tulsa have access to. And I think that there are currently some plans in Tulsa to do a lot of expansion on the existing bus network, which seems really encouraging. Um, but all, a lot of that is getting funded by George Kaiser. And we have an episode two yeah. episodes ago where we, where we were like, it's a fucking Gilded Age when we need some rich motherfucking oil baron Banker, aren't things that the city is building? It's things that we expect these, you know, angel investors to come down and, you know, should they deign to give it a heart, then that'd be great. But this should be something that the city is providing for its citizens, not a, you know, Wayne family esque gift to the city. And this is also, I, th- I think what's really important, like we've said about subsidi- how we actually subsidize these suburban motherfuckers is, is articulating a politics that says, you know, car usage is bad for the environment, it is bad for your health, it is a driver of obesity in this country, it is a driver of suicide in this country, suburban life is really shitty, but if you want to live like money that... Out of our da- also pump money out of our downtown core into the suburbs when you get people who are just working there and then taking their income and spending it on whatever a third lawnmower for their subdivision home yeah yeah and you 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 don't have that money being accumulated in the downtown dense area that has populations that can actually benefit from that money being introduced in their community and what we should be seeing are local politicians articulating the idea that if you're gonna live in a fucking suburb you pay your own goddamn way and build your own roads that you don't have a right that, no, we will not build the grid out farther for you. If you want that, you have to pay for it. And, and we tell developers, suburban developers, oh, you want to build some fucking shit-ass suburban development that takes up, like, a whole fucking mile-by-mile city block, except for the corners where there are some new box fucking cookie-cutter stores? Um, you have to pay for those roads. And, and yeah. that's very easy. I think it's easy to articulate that politics and say that, no, we're not fucking funding this shit. Yeah, well, it becomes... Decision made in uh, regarding public transit in Oklahoma is a very surface level look at it. But if you take any sort of deep look, you can clearly see how public transit is really to the benefit of the city and driving really just hurts everyone in general and makes sure that driving around driving is like commuting in a city is a privilege rather than just a you know basic basic right or a basic you know public yeah. service and when we do also articulate it to some extent as as a basic right or as like a form of freedom i think that's important too because a lot of the discourse in america about public transit is that oh having a car makes you free and like yes having a car <laughs> makes you free in some ways like you can drive to the grand canyon or something you can drive to oklahoma city whenever you want to but having public transit means that you can get fucking blasted in the tulsa arts district and get home and not have to give a shit about like possibly killing people because you're drunk driving. That's one of the coolest exactly. things about where I think both of us live. You you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to pay. Yeah, no. For it. I it's mean, being normal. in Boston now, I'm uh, having to not drive anywhere. I can get to 
anywhere in the city, and you know the tea here has its problems. But the fact of the matter is, I can't get anywhere in the city without ever having to use a car, which just makes it so much easier to live here. It makes it so much easier to access our city. And and it's a freedom. It's a form of freedom because you have this freedom. You know, in Boston or here in Leipzig, you could still choose to have a car and take a car around if you want to. But you're not exactly. forced to take a car around. And that's what we need to... That's another thing we need to articulate. Yeah, that's, that's is, is the major... the tyranny yeah, of the car. Absolutely. No, the, the people saying, well, I want the freedom to own a car. You don't have the freedom to own, own a car. You have the necessity that you have to own a car. Like, there's no getting around it. I, I think, fundamentally, those are the two angles we need to be talking about whenever we talk about urban design. Like, one... Pay for your own fucking way, you suburban shitheads. And two... And then two, how do we make it more accessible to the people who can't access the city, I think. Yeah. When how, also, how do we I make mean, people we more this, free by doing that, you know? I think another way to frame this that a lot of people don't think of is that it's a public health issue. Like, car death are the leading cause of death for people under uh, 40. Yeah, like, Traffic accidents kill more people in America, more young people in America than any other reason. And it's, like, all... Car-based accidents. People taking public transit don't get in these same types of accidents. Yeah, because it just doesn't happen. It cannot happen in the same way. And, yeah. and so, there you go. That that's your takeaway from this uh, special uh, special section. Can you live without a car in Oklahoma? Number one, pay your own fucking way, suburban dickheads. Number two, it's about freedom. Public transit makes people more free. And number three, it's literally killing... It's the most likely thing to kill anybody who's listening to the show, because I'm sure only people under 40 listen to it. <laughs> so if you don't want to die, call your fucking local government people about public transit. And also for uh, more wonkish psychopathic rants on public transit in a place that I don't live, uh, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, um, Lassie is, has a great Twitter account, very good, much better than mine or Adam's. We, we never tweet. Lassie's always tweeting. Um, but, you know, guys, come follow the show, too. We're at Red Star Overall. Okay, you already know. Okay, we got the best content, just episodes all the time, and also sometimes I swear at our representatives in Washington. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, follow us on Facebook, too, facebook.com slash Red Star Okay. All the episodes come out there. Uh, share it because you will get into an argument with some family member if you share our stuff on Facebook and that's fun um, guys come talk to us yeah it's perfect oh by the way oh everybody for our Christmas thing we still if you're listening and you made it this far through the episode send us some fucking bullshit conservative arguments you heard at Thanksgiving because we want to write something up about that so we can write th write up like a Make your racist uncle look stupid things. So send us that. And a great place Trigger to send us that. Or MAGA grandma. <laughs> I mean, their politics is based on triggering the lips. Let's do it based on triggering them. Um, a great place to tell us about that would be at our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash redstar over Oklahoma. We got, you have any questions for us, come ask us there. We'll tell you, uh, there's a great thread explaining good news, good local and national news. Um, and, you know, Whenever you all come on and talk to us, it's a great it's a great opportunity. Adam and I literally always look at it because we don't have lives. Um, come follow us on SoundCloud. It's just Red Star Over Oklahoma. Rate and review us on iTunes. Red Star Over Oklahoma again. Do that. It's it's makes a big difference. Uh, you can email us any dick pics you'd like. 
at redstaroveroka@gmail.com or anything that's actually constructive instead of that that, that would be preferable uh, but most importantly tell your friends about us guys just go tell your friends that there's a cool socialist podcast in Oklahoma you know it's good stuff start, start building a left coalition in our state it's it's what we need i think that's that's the takeaway from this this week's episode is we need that and honestly you know there's nothing better than to give Mary Fallon a big fuck you and come up with some left coalition for 2018 guys. So, you know, start, start to fight the uh, class war from the, the good side, the leftist scumbag side. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the dirtbag left coalition needs to happen for Oklahoma. If ever something is needed to happen, let's make Oklahoma Woody Guthrie again, guys. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so that's us for the week and Adam should be back next week. Everybody. Uh, thanks for being on Lassie. Uh, thanks for having me on. Good stuff. Yeah, you as well. And uh, yeah, bye, everybody. Bye, y'all.